There we go. Thank you. The title had fun with the body and all its gore. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. I don't know if, uh, not to 19, to 31. 12 to 31. It's a long passage. I don't know if you've ever visited a really, really weird exhibit in a museum. You walk in, you look at everything, and you wonder, why in the world am I here? The weirdest exhibit I have ever attended was as at the Perot Museum of Science in downtown Dallas. It was completed in 2012. You can tell the building itself is really weird. They wanted to be all artsy and futuristic when they were building it. They didn't just want it just a, like a building. They wanted that. For some reason, I went there. Um, and I walked in. And I was accosted by this exhibit uh, that some scientists had decided to put together. They took two human bodies, a male and a female, they froze them, and they cut thin slices out of it from top to bottom. It was like they took these bodies and put them through a deli slicer. They had thousands of these thin slices, and then they colored the organs and the muscles and the bones, all these different things. So you walk in, and you are met by these laminated slices of the inside of your body. It was a mixture of uncomfortable and awkward when you're there. What made matters worse is I was there with a female friend. Now, I, had no, I, I was not dating this girl. I had no intention of dating this girl. But for some reason, I was there with her and her folks. And we walk in on these bodies, full display, sliced up there. I tried to act nonchalant, but how can you really act nonchalant when you're face to face with what appears to be remnants of an ancient torture session? The goal of the display that I finally figured out after I'd hurriedly got through it uh, was they wanted people to see how the body works together, all the different parts of it working in glorious harmony. Didn't quite get that out of the display, but that was the goal. Paul here is talking about the body, and each part is necessary, each part is important. I don't think when Paul is writing this that he is thinking about a body that has been sliced up and laminated for the world to see. But now, whenever I read this passage, that's the only thing I can think of. So, you're welcome. Now, that's the only thing you'll be able to think of, too. Let's read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so that the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now if the foot should say, you know, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, hey, because I'm not, a, I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable and are, treat, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the more excellent way. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for gloriously saving us, for sending your son Jesus to come to earth and to die for us, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that we don't have to do anything to earn this salvation, but it is freely gifted. All we have to do is receive it. Lord, your mercy and your grace is truly overwhelming. And it is a, such a privilege to come before you, before your throne, and share all our burdens with you. Thank you that we can have a personal relationship with you because you never leave us or forsake us. And when we need help, we get to boldly come before your throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Thank you that you are the God of hope the God of endurance, the God of peace, and the God of joy, and you freely give these, pouring them upon us. Lord, it is a privilege to be considered your child. Thank you for giving us your church that we can live life together. We don't have to live alone, but we can have brothers and sisters that will walk with us through hard times and laugh with us through good. Thank you for fellowship times that we get to share the deepest burdens of our heart and pray for one another. Lord, thank you that we get to reflect who you are here and teach us how to do that better. Today as I'm here, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the body of Christ. We're going to define it. We're going to discuss what it is made of. We're going to talk about all the gory interworkings of it. We're not going to slice it up and paint in different colors, but we'll talk about the interworkings of it, and then we're going to talk about the focus of it all. So first, let us talk about the body of Christ. Roxy, did you click back off of the Proclaim software? Thank you. Body of Christ. Definition of it. In several sermons, I've thrown that phrase, the body of Christ, around. But how does anyone define what it means? We throw it around a lot, and we talk about we're part of the body of Christ, but it's good to define it. We could talk about the physical body of Christ, the flesh and the bone, the blood, that which hung on the cross and died for us. But when we refer to the body of Christ, most of the time we're not talking about Jesus' physical body. We're talking about something else. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, 
but all its, part, all its many parts for one, form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. What is Paul talking about here? If you have been through one of my membership classes, uh, you know what I am about to say. If you've been through one of my membership classes and you completely forget what I'm about to say, that's totally okay, we are all human. If you've never been to one of my membership classes, here you go, here's a taste of what I would say in it. We could give two definitions for the body of Christ, of what we're talking about. We could talk about the spiritual body of Christ, which is defined as the universal church. Whoop. You didn't touch it? Okay, good to know. The universal church. Ah, technology. Things always happen. The universal church. This is everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, entering into that personal relationship. Paul speaks of this process of salvation in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I don't have the time to go through that entire passage, so I'm just going to highlight a couple verses. You can read the whole passage yourself. But Ephesians 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and accordance with the riches of God's grace. Salvation, what Christ offers. Verses 13 to 14 says, And you also were included in Christ in this salvation when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed, and when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Scripture says, Those who are saved are those who have heard the message and who have chosen to believe him. Those are those who are saved. There are a lot of amazing things that happen in this passage that Paul is talking about. The identity that comes to those who make that decision for themselves to believe in Jesus Christ. The bottom line that Paul says is that we are saved because of God's grace when we believe. It is not based upon anything we do. So if we have placed our faith in Christ alone, we are saved. And therefore we are part of the body of Christ. Everyone who has made this decision for themselves is part of the body of Christ. If you have never made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, you are not part of the body of Christ. But if you've made that decision, you are part of it. Whether you made the decision today or you made the decision 2,000 years ago, anyone who has ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ is part of the universal church, the body of Christ. There are many people up in heaven right now, the throne of God, waiting for the resurrection of of the dead so that their souls will be part of their bodies again and they'll live forever on this earth. They're waiting there for the resurrection. They are part of the universal church with us. The universal church. That's one definition of the body of Christ. Anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Accurate definition. But Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is being specific in what he's talking about. He's not talking about the spiritual body of Christ. He's talking about what I call the physical body of Christ. This is anyone who is part of the spiritual body of Christ. They're also part of, should be part of, a physical body of Christ. These are Christians who live in a location and they meet together regularly to worship, to perform the ordinances, and encourage one another in sanctification. We call it the local church. You have the universal church, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And then you've got the local church, a group of Christians who meet together to worship, to perform the ordinances, to encourage one another in sanctification. 
This local church is not a building. It is a people who covenant together to teach truth, to edify each other, to encourage one another in the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and to restore each other when we sin. The local church. This is what we see in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a local church. This is speaking of the church that is going on in Jerusalem. The church is going to spread. And you're going to have the church in Jerusalem. You're going to have the church in Antioch. You're going to have the church in Philippi. You're going to have the church in Corinth. You're going to have the church in Ephesus. All these these Christians saying, hey, yes, we're part of the universal church, but we're going to meet together with the local one for a specific purpose. And I said something earlier. I said that the local body of Christ is a people who covenant together. It's people who covenant together. We live in a transient society. People are moving all over the place, moving here, moving there, and and we're used to that now. We've grown callous. You know, people stay at a job for a year or two, then they move on to another job, and they might move to Norfolk, and they might move to Creighton, they might move to Plainview, based on where their job is. And we've allowed that culture of people moving here or there to seep into the local church. And we're used to people coming and going in a church, attending a little bit here, attending a little bit there. But God designed the local church to be a body, people who will hold each other accountable. And it's hard to know who you're holding accountable if there's no commitment there. That's one reason why we have membership class, so that we can know who we are covenanting together with and so we can know who, what we're holding each other accountable to. We had a membership class last weekend. We had three people attend it. It was a great conversation, great time. I look forward to following them through the process of membership. We're planning on having another membership class come fall for anyone who might be interested in it. And, and through it, we're saying, hey, yes, I'm covenanting with this local church. I, I'm saying, I want to be part of this so I can be held accountable and so I can hold you accountable. And we all agree on this is what we believe. So we know this is what we're holding each other accountable to, membership. If you want more information on that, let me know. The body of Christ, Christians who live in a certain location and who meet together regularly to worship together, to perform the ordinances, to encourage one another in sanctification. What is the body of Christ made up of? What is the material? Well, it's each one of us. And we are all gloriously different. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. Paul gives two illustrations in this passage on how this works out. He writes to those who think that they don't belong because they're not like the others. He says, oh, you know, I'm not like that person over there, therefore maybe, maybe I, I, I'm not actually good for this local church, this body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 15, now if the foot should say, you know, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people. I've had people come up to me and say, wow, pastor, you know, I wish I knew as much about the Bible 
as you do. I've had other people come up to me and say, you know, pastor, I wish you knew as much about the Bible as I did. (laughs) It all comes out in the wash. It does. Just because we don't have a certain skill or we don't have a certain gifting or we don't have a certain personality type that someone else does does not mean that we are not useful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second illustration that Paul gives is that those who don't want someone else to be part of their body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 to 22, he says, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We're all human. And none of us can deny it. I hope that no one walks up to me one day and confesses that they are something other than a human because there will be some other different things we'll have to talk about then. But as humans, we naturally look down on each other. We naturally do. We naturally have this little proud little part of our brain over here that says, you know what? I've got everything together. And if everyone else was just like me, boy, the world would be such a better place. You know, if my kids thought the way I did, oh, wow, life would be so smooth. If my husband would actually just listen to me and confess that I had the right perspective, life would be a dream. We naturally look down on people. We naturally want people to be like us. But the people that we look down on or the people that we want to look down or the people that disagree with us are actually indispensable for us. I think about a lady who used to attend this church, and I talked to her about this, and she said I could talk about her, but I'm not going to mention her name. A lady used to attend this church. She moved away. When she was here, she thought that she was such a burden to us. We'd be sitting down in Sunday school class, and I would say something. And invariably, pop, up up went the hand, whenever I would say something. She'd be sitting down. You know, you shouldn't sit down next to a married woman when her husband leaves. But do you mind if I sit here? Okay. (laughs) This is bad. Okay. So she'd be sitting here. I'd be talking. And and then you'd start seeing her squirm a little bit. Okay. We'll pop up. Every three minutes. What would you Hugh, that's what I told her. I appreciate it. You don't have to tell your husband. The batteries are dead? Boy. No? No, it's on. Hello? Yeah. I'm good? Maybe I sat on it. That's okay. So that means everyone who's watching didn't see what I did. That's good. (laughs) I love curiosity. She didn't grow up in a Christian background. She grew up in a a pagan, uh, 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 spiritualistic background. And so she was face-to-face with things she'd never experienced before. And she thought she was a distraction. And she came up to me and she said, you know what, I'm not going to ask any questions anymore. I'm just going to be quiet. 
and not say a thing, and I said, no. You need to ask questions, because God has given you a gift. You have the humility to say, I don't know, and you have the desire to know, and that's a rare combination. There's a lot of people who don't know, and they don't want anyone to know that they don't know, and there's a lot of people who don't know and don't care, but she had the mixing of it. She wanted to learn. She had the humility to ask, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt there were other people in that class that wanted to ask that question but didn't have the guts to do it. Welcome back, Josh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I sat down next to your wife and talked with her. That's it. <laughs> Our church wouldn't be the same if we didn't have members like her in the church. And our church wouldn't be the same if we didn't have members like you. Every one of you who are here. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 17 to 18, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God brings people into a local church, the body, on purpose. If you attend here regularly, it's because God has brought you here. It, you may not believe that right now. You might think, you know, I don't have any worth. I just sit here. I can't do this. I can't do that. But God has brought you here for a purpose, and you're accomplishing that. You may not believe that today. Hey, things might happen. You might even not even believe there's a God today. But that's okay. God has placed you here for a purpose, whether you believe he did it or not and he's using you to help the body. None of us may know exactly what we're doing. Someday we might realize, oh, God had me here for that purpose. Or we might get up to heaven, never having known, and God will show, this is what I did for you. Welcome home, through you, welcome home, good and faithful servant. There are lots of times when I'm praying about the church, I ask God to bring people to the church that we need. And I say, equip them and encourage them and push them to actually do what you've called them to do. But then I pray, God, keep away the people that we don't need. Those who are going to come in and divide the church. Bring the ones who will lift us up, not the ones who will tear us down. The body of Christ. Christians who live in a specific location and attend regularly to worship together, to perform the ordinances to encourage one another in sanctification. The material body, every single one of us in our differences. Let's talk about the interworking of the body. There are some things that we're not supposed to talk about in polite society. There's some things that we're not supposed to talk about in church. But that's never stopped me before. Um, I spend a whole sermon talking about what husbands and wives do together. So if I can talk about that, I can talk about anything. And especially if I am quoting a child, I can talk about anything I want to. If I'm saying, hey, this is what the kid's saying. I was talking about, to a three-year-old boy once, and this boy knew how things worked. He looked at me, he was eating some food, and he said, you know what? I'm putting this food in my mouth, it's going down my throat, into my stomach, and then I'm going to poop it out. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you got it together. You're a pretty smart kid. Good job. 
It's great how our, all the parts of our body work together to make sure we're healthy. And when we don't work, it doesn't work together, we don't like that. We're in pain. When, when all the parts of our body, from our mouth to the rest of it, work together, we don't think about it. But the minute we're not able to poop, it's not good. Can I hear an amen? amen. Thank you. When we're able to, it's fine, and we don't think about it. Think about the church. When all the parts of our body work together smoothly, we think of ourselves as one unit, and we don't really think about what's going on. But when one part of our body isn't working well, all the rest of the body feels it. We're disjointed. We don't, it's not good. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 to 26. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. God has placed us in a body to help one another. We've seen that in this past year. We've had several deaths in this past year. This past five years, we've had numerous deaths in our church. And while we grieve through the deaths, it is a joy to see the body of Christ work together. It's a joy to see when someone has lost a spouse how the widows and widowers in the church come around that person to be people that they can lean on and cry with. That's the church at work. There's more we can do in this realm of grief and as a church supporting one another and we're actually going to be starting as a church a grief share program here in the church to help those in our church who are grieving and also in our community to show the body of Christ in the community, this is who Christ is, and this is how we can love people. When someone lost their baby in this church, we as a church got together, and we supplied them with food and support through that time. When one part suffer, we all suffer with it. But on the flip side, when someone is honored, we rejoice. Spiritually, last June, when, when Gail and Mike and Wanda and Marlena got baptized, we as a church rejoiced. That was a glory time, shouting time here in this building. It's good to see it. But that just doesn't happen in spiritual highs. It happens all throughout life. When something good happens, we want to rejoice. That's why when we have our prayer time in the middle of the service, I ask, is there any prayer requests or praises? Because we as a church, not do we want to, we, we want to cry with people who are crying, but we also want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and say, wow, God, look what you're doing in each other's life. What happens to one happens to the other. Which means, too, that if someone starts drifting from the faith, it affects those around us. And if one of us is wallowing in sin, it affects those around them. That's why Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews, writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, he says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging, that skipped over a whole bunch, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we covenant together in a body, when we say, this is my church, 
and I am part of this church. When we say that, we are saying that we're going to hold each other accountable to Scripture. We're going to hold each other accountable to a holy life. We will call each other out on bad theology. We will call each other out on sin. We, we don't do this because we are better than someone else, but we do it because, but for the grace of God, there I would go. That would be me. I would be the one slipping away, and I would need that person to call me out. We do it in humility. We do it in pain, because when we can't poop, we're in pain. And when someone is wallowing in sin, we as a church can't poop. It's the truth. First Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. That's the next slide. We need each other in this life. We do. Every one of us needs everyone else. And when you're not here, we feel the hole. When I'm not here, you feel the hole. We need each other. That's why Paul, when he's speaking of spiritual gifts, highlights those that help each other, and those that push each other towards Jesus Christ. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And we're going to talk about that. The body of Christ, the definition of it. Those who live in a local, certain location meet together regularly to worship together, to form, form the ordinances to encourage one another in sanctification. The material of the body, each one of us in our differences. The interworking of the body, we all work together to hold each other accountable to Jesus Christ. Finally, the focus of the body. We discussed this before. The focus of everything we do as a Christian should be to glorify God, to pursue him. So when God gives us giftings, we are to use them to seek the unity of the church so that we will glorify God. That's the end result, to glorify him. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 to 31. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The greater gifts in Paul's mind are those gifts that we can use to help each other. And God has placed each of us in the local church to help each other. As I said last week, God doesn't just give us a gift, we are a gift to each other in the church. It's not like, ooh, look at me, I'm a gift, but how can I serve those around me? God's given us a gift, we need to use it for his glory. Let me explain how it happens. Someone has a burden for a ministry. We as a church, we're hoping to start what's called a ministry of helps, where we have a list uh, where people sign up and say, hey, I can mow a lawn, I can shovel a sidewalk, I can drive someone to the hospital or doctor's appointment, I can go pick up food, I can do any, all these service ideas. So someone has a burden for this ministry, they approach me about it, I say, that sounds awesome. Let me equip you to do this ministry. I work with them to start this ministry. Incidentally, whenever anyone has a burden for a specific ministry that we as a church should do, most of the time they come and say, hey, I've got this burden, can you do it? They, they never think about them leading the ministry. But there's a very, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and Ephesians, is in Ephesians 4, where it says, God has gifted a church with a pastor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
So my job is to say, sorry, can't do it. But to equip you. So the person starts the ministry and someone start, they start signing up to shovel snow, to mow the lawn, to drive someone to the hospital, all sorts of different things. And each of the people who sign up and says, I can serve in this way, are doing it because God has spurred them to do it and he has equipped them to do it. And, they, and you say, well, it doesn't take much to turn on a lawnmower and push it. For you, it doesn't take much. But for someone else, it does. And therefore, God has equipped you to be able to help that person. You might think, oh, but I was born, I got, it's just, it's just who I am. No, no, God has equipped you. It's something special he's given you that you can use to help those in your church. A spiritual gift. And therefore, whenever anyone is called and said, and they're asked, hey, could you drive me to the hospital? And they get in the car and drive that person to the hospital. God is glorified in that moment because someone has helped using the gifts that God has given. People are experiencing God's hand through the church, even in these small, teeny, teeny, tiny ways. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Good works that he has prepared. You said, well, I just got called today to bring him. God has prepared you and prepared this moment that you would step in and glorify him in this task. Good works we do because of his gifting. We don't have to talk about the Minister of Helps. We could talk about the sound booth that Roxy is so amazingly helping out today. We could talk about setting up tables and chairs before fellowship meal. We could talk about cooking food for the fellowship meal. We could talk about painting in the church sanctuary or downstairs in the kitchen. We talk about teaching and preaching. We could talk about just when you're having a hard time and someone sits down and says, tell me what's going on and they just listen. God has equipped for a good work in that moment. Whenever someone in a local church helps and serves someone else, God is glorified. So what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you part of a local church? Or do you just randomly attend from time to time? Are you part? It's not enough to say, you know, I come every couple months. Are you part of it? Have you committed to covenant with a local church to push this church towards sanctification and be pushed yourself towards sanctification? Are you serving for the glory of God in a local church? Or do you just come when you feel like getting something out of it because you have a need in your life? What is the purpose? I guess what I'm trying to ask is if if someone froze Calvary Bible Church and cut slices out of it, would they see you in it or would they not? It's a funny question, but it got me thinking this week. The body of Christ, Christians who live in a location and meet together regularly, to worship the Lord, to perform the ordinances, to push one another on towards sanctification. The body of Christ, the material, each one of us in our differences, the interworking of the body. We work together to hold each other accountable to Jesus Christ. The focus of the body, the glory of God as we serve one another. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us your word that we might know you and that we might reflect you.
you know our humanity, how easy it is for us to sit back and just live the status quo, to say, I'm good, I really don't want to do anything today. But Lord, I ask that you would constantly, every single day that we wake up, that you impress on our heart that we are part of a local church and that we need to be part of one. Show us the importance every single day and show us where we fit in that we might serve you and bring you glory in the ways that you have uniquely equipped us for your honor and your glory. Thanks, Father. Amen. Well, if you want to stand with me and sing one last song, we'll finish this morning with Days of